the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We've got a bunch to cover. Just uh, before we get on the program, Jesse Smollett was convicted of, I think, five out of six of the charges for lying about that race hoax up in Chicago. We'll talk about that in a moment. Also, I have some more details. I started to tell you all about that... um, uh, tweet from J.D. Vance, the uh, candidate for U.S. Senate. And J.D. Vance tweeted about how Ohio State University has an incredible number of diversity uh, officers, diversity bureaucrats, whose job it is to go around, uh, I guess, Ohio State University and make sure everybody's diverse. And so we'll talk about that and a lot more. Don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. And sign up uh, for the daily email, the daily wink, what you need to know. Right there, there's a box. You fill it out. And your email, 8 o'clock each morning, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. Send you an email that gives you a few of the key articles, a few key links, uh, and it's what you need to know. In fact, uh, today's wink went out, uh, and it included reference to Pat Buchanan's column. And I referenced Pat Buchanan's column and his clarity on uh, international affairs that's going on about hmm, 50 years. He's been writing and commentating on uh, on international affairs and kind of the America first agenda. And uh, I'll be darned, Pat Buchanan gets the daily wink. And so he replied to my email, the, the wink that went out this morning, email went out 8 a.m. East Coast time. Pat Buchanan wrote and said, thanks for the kind words, Ed. Hope you're doing well. So that's very cool. Pat Buchanan was very close with uh, the late Phyllis Schlafly. So uh, very cool to catch out. All right, let, let me now. So I mentioned J.D. Vance retweeted a man named Mark Perry. Mark Perry is an economics professor and a scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. And he wrote this. Ohio State has an army of 132 diversocrats. Those are bureaucrats whose focus is diversity at an average of $77,000 and a total estimated payroll cost of $13.4 million. Now, the cool thing about this, a couple things. One, I love when we have people who get the public information, you know, uh, openthebooks.com is so good at this, uh, Adam Njevsky, and get this stuff and lay it out for us so we can see it. The transparency is so cool to actually see what's going on. And so that's one thing. That's uh, one thing about, I lo- just love the idea that we got this. The second thing is, think about how, what that's, what that means. Think about 132 people, all different ages, right? Probably many of them young, with a good job, $77,000 a year. You're working at a college campus, which means you do work some funny hours. Sometimes you'll have evening hours, but you get a lot of breaks and a lot of holidays and a lot of summer. You know, you don't exactly, you, when you think of people who are, are, are overworked and burned out, they may, there may be intense examples. The guy who's a professor trying to get tenure or the staffer who overworks because they just love doing that. I mean, there's always examples of that. But in general, university life is pretty good living. And so you have a situation where the uh, the people are getting uh, a great 
salary. And by the way, the Ohio State University is a public university. It's not going anywhere. You know, it's not like you're working for uh, Yak Yak State, a privately funded school that if it uh, messes up its enrollment, that suddenly you lose your job. No, you're not losing. Nobody's getting. There's not a lot of layoffs uh, at a university. Now, I guess I should take that back. There may be times where it ebbs and flows a little bit, but in general, you have job security and tuition benefits and health care benefits. And all you have to do is be someone who spends your time talking about diversity. And in fact, all you really have to do is buy into the sort of woke culture on feminism, on racism, on uh, transgenderism. All That's all you have to do. It's an amazing thing, which brings us to the story of the day and what you need to know. Jesse Smollett, what happened to this guy, right? What, what happened to him? What, and what happened to him was he thought, somewhat accurately, that if he played the standard cards that are so commonly played, the diversity cards, right? He's gay, he's black, he's liberal, he's aggrieved. And he played those cards with the hoax he engineered that he would get more famous, that he would get more attention, that he would get, he might get a statue like George Floyd. George Floyd was not a successful man. Nobody deserves to die. He was doing drugs and other things. I mean, but he wasn't a successful. No one should be saying, grow up and be George Floyd. But And Jesse Smollett, Jesse Smollett was saying, look, I'm already a, an actor. I've already got some money and fame. I could be even more famous. And when I go out and do this hoax, I will get, if I do it right, and I think I can, I'll get LeBron James to call me a, a hero and Oprah Winfrey to call me a hero and Don Lemon to get my cell phone and text me and say, hey, man, you're going fine. And I'll, what do you need? How are you going? Jesse Smollett's hoax which he's now been convicted for lying to the police and other things about it is a perfect example of what you get when you build a culture, a society, a chunk of it around rewarding what victimhood. You can be famous. You know, some people can be famous for inventing something, getting a patent, writing a book, uh, being a screenwriter, you know, doing something or in the culture we're in right now, you can get really famous and really rich if you can be a victim, the right kind of victim. You got to be the right kind of victim. You, you can't be Kyle Rittenhouse. You, you can't be uh, Covington, the Covington kids. No, no, you got to be the right kind of victim in the sweet spot. And here's the exciting thing. Jesse Smollett was convicted. He lost. He got caught. He's not a hero. It's as if, um, say, say one of these, um, well, I guess I'll say it, George Floyd. If George Floyd hadn't died, and maybe he was only hurt, and it was ex- turned out that George Floyd wasn't a nice guy and was a part of the problem, you'd say, oh, okay, but, but let's not make it all about him. Let's move on to something else. But if you do it right, if you do it right, if you do it right, you can be lionized and wealthy based on the, playing the victim cards right, playing the playing the card right, and back to my point, Jesse Smollett lost, and Kyle Rittenhouse won, and the Covington kids won, and you have to say to yourself, could we possibly, maybe, get this culture of victimhood on the run, so people think, hey, if I'm a victim, I need some help, I need to get out, you know, I need a break, but not if I become a victim, make myself a victim, claim myself a victim, I can do better, that's rotten for people. 
People don't want it, shouldn't want to be victims, shouldn't need to be victims to be successes. All right, that's all I got. That's what you need to know. We will be back back in a moment. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Be right back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been looking forward to talking with our next guest, Dean Reuter. He's a general counsel of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy, also as a fellow over at George Mason, and uh, he's an editor of books and things. His co-authors, I should mention them because they play a big role in this book, are Calm Lowry, who's from uh, Northern Ireland. He's a lecturer, and also Keith Chester, an investigative researcher and an author. And so the book is called The Hidden Nazi. It's published by Regnery uh, History, which is one of Regnery's uh, imprints, and the untold story of America's deal with the devil. Uh, Dean, welcome to the program. It's an extraordinary book. It's great to talk to you. It's good to be on with you, Ed. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. And I'll cut to my my listeners know I love to do this, Dean. I'll cut to the back and then come back to the front. But I, I read the first chapter, the last chapter, and then I go back and through the middle. I get to the end of the book, Dean, and we'll set it up. Basically, one of the worst dudes in the whole Nazi regime, uh, his name is Dean Kamler. And or might be I might be mispronouncing that Kamler, but he he um, he sort of uh, his name is sorry Hans Kamler, and he disappears. Uh, he's a general after the war, and you and your colleagues trace this, and you sort of it's like a whodunit all the way through twists and turns, documents. But I get to the end of the book, and and the the we don't know the answer. It, it looks like he cut a deal. Uh, as a bad Nazi killer, like a horrendous, you know, a, a genocidal maniac, he cut a deal and disappears. Uh, but, Dean, we don't know where he disappeared to. Did he come to America? Did he disappear in Europe? Is he in Argentina? Do you, do you, I mean, can we answer that? We can't answer that with certitude, uh, Ed, which is one of the frustrating things about this book. But we decided, you know, we've got enough information to publish here. We know, I mean, we've revealed some startling things. You know, conventional history really, really doesn't pay attention to Hans Kammler because he committed suicide at the end of the war in May 1945. Just as the war ended, he commits suicide. The German court validates that finding. But my researchers noticed uh, that I mean, he was not only a high-ranking guy, the rank of a, uh, the equivalent rank of General George Patton, so um, really high-ranking, all-powerful Nazi general. Uh, there was never a body produced, no uh, sidearm or dog tags, uh, no paperwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just an adjudication of his death, and um, that didn't sit well with these researchers. And what we reveal in the book is he didn't die at the end of the war. He actually did a deal. I think we proved pretty well that he did a deal with the U.S. Army to try and erase his past, uh, and we made a deal with him in order, honestly, to get the German rocket team. Werner von Braun and that rocket team fell into our hands, not uh, out of some stroke of luck, but because we did a deal with Hans Kammler, the hidden us. Well, and when, and and again, we're talking with uh, Dean Reuter, and his his book is called "The Hidden Nazi," available wherever books are sold. Regnery uh, publishes it. Um, uh, but Dean, um, when you read this, it's some details are stri- I'm really striking. One is he's a senior, senior guy designing Auschwitz and and design, you know, carrying out the plans to exterminate millions of people. He's not a military man. He's an architect, I think, or I think an account yeah. engineer. And and, and he gets promoted up through. Yes. 
Yeah, and ends up not only in charge of the physical design and implementation of Auschwitz and others, but as you point out, he also is so senior, he's in charge of supervising the, I guess, what do you call it, the secret weapon division, like uh, they were rockets as well as probably trying to get to nuclear weapons, right? That's exactly right. They had rockets that were very far advanced, much farther advanced than anybody uh, in the Allies, the Western Allies, or even Russia. And everybody knew as the war was ending, Germany was going to lose, and there would be this mad scramble uh, for that secret technology. And whoever came out of it uh, would have a 10 years head start on the Cold War. That's why we made the deal with the hidden Nazi, with Hans Kammler. Uh, But he ended up in charge of that. Uh, not just the rockets, but as you suggest, nuclear research. And we show in our book that they made probably more uh, advances in nuclear research than anybody thought. They certainly had more research sites than anybody's been able to document before the hidden Nazis. Um, but it, it's just a remarkable story. I mean, I, I would not have it believed is. it to be true if I hadn't participated in the discovery <laughs> of it. Well, you do. A good, I have to say, you do a good job of that. You, as the narrator, you kind of you lead. You lead as the reader. I was thinking like you were. I was like, you know, at one point you're describing like you're looking out the window of your home office and you go for a run and you're thinking, is this all coming together? And you're like, wait, one more detail. But I want to go back for a second. Again, we're talking with Dean Reuter. The book is the Hidden Nazi. Um, at the very beginning, you talk about traveling to Germany to interview uh, Hans Kammler's son, who is, I think, I, I assumed, I don't remember if he was elderly, but he was certainly infirm. And you're interviewing him, and you're sort of, it's enough of a human portrayal that you, you the reader, I think, or at least I did, I thought, how did this guy, this Hans Kammler, become such a maniac? And, you know, that's kind of like... Um, that, that, that question, right, is how do people that get born and raised end up like being so doing such evil things? I don't know if I get what do you think by the end of all this research? It's a great question. And we do try and delve into the human aspects of this. It's, it's really hard to, to figure out how somebody can go so far off the rails and even more to the point, maybe how an entire culture uh, Germany, right. one, of the, one of the most advanced cultures, not just at the time, but in the history of humankind, uh, you know, produced right. such great science and music and culture and then ended up killing six million Jews um, out of malice. And this was not just a handful of people participating in this. This was a, a nationwide endeavor that involved a lot more people than, than sometimes we're led to believe. But one, one critical aspect of Hans Kammler that I just can't get over, which really shows he does have no redeeming characters, is characteristics is that he lost a daughter as an infant in an accident when a nurse uh, yeah. left a bottle of chloroform open near his daughter. So his own daughter is gassed to death, ironically, and yet he goes on without any um, you know, indication of remorse or any hesitation. There's no pause button. He designs the gas chambers and the ovens, and he just figuratively pushes people into those gas chambers, men, women, and children. Well. Well, and and I, again, I'm I'm God knows I'm not defending him, but you go armchair a quarterback or our armchair psychiatrist, and I don't know maybe that maybe he lost. I think I think you remember. I think I remember he lost two children in their in in their infancy. Yeah. So maybe somehow he snaps. You know, we tend to think of at least I do stereotypically think like you know the mother of a child like that snaps and is never never recovers is institutionalized. I don't know. It's a uh, oh, again uh, Dean Reuter. The book is the Hidden Nazi: The Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. As you read this, as I read this 
this, Dean, I was reminded of some of the other sort of deals there were and then some of the ones that escaped, like Barbie uh, that was a famous Nazi who escaped or got got some kind of got out, either got a deal or got out, uh, referenced a few others. What's your thought now that you've done all this research about the number of Nazis who got a deal? I mean, you, you trace through there, and it's the names that we all I mean, all know that read this. A Wild Bill Donovan and Dulles and the OSS before it becomes a CIA. You know, nowadays, if you said the CIA did lots of deals, I don't think a lot of the public would particularly be surprised, right? They'd say, oh, the CIA. I mean, who knows what they do? I mean, maybe, maybe good or bad. But what's your sense of how many deals Nazis got? And, and this may have been the most dramatic guy, but there were some other real bad dudes that seemed to have gotten deals too, right? There, there were plenty of folks. I mean, I'd say in the hundreds in terms of deals. And I mean, just for example, we brought 200 Nazi rocket scientists to the United States. A lot of these deals uh, wound up with uh, Nazis being imported into the United States and their records cleansed along the way so they could get a fresh start. Uh, it was a calculation yeah. we made, the United States made, that we these people were more valuable than they were dirty. They were uh, more used to us alive than they were dead as examples. Um, it's it's tough Ed, to, to second guess those decisions when they were made on the ground. But one thing I did discover is there were two groups of Americans uh, or Western allies, really, even in Europe after the war. There was one group that was assigned to capture and punish Nazi war criminals. And there was another group that was uh, assigned to capture and export Nazi talent um, and and scientists yeah. and engineers. Um, and there was a, then a smaller third group that was recruiting Nazis on the continent to act as intelligence assets against the Soviet Union. The Nazis had just been fighting the Soviet Union for four years. Uh, we were about to engage in a Cold War, and we used them as as intelligence assets, including Klaus Barbie, uh, who you mentioned, so, who was so prominent. And then with our help, I mean, this is a well-documented case. With our help, he got off the continent and made it to South America, uh, and the papers um, the paperwork for Klaus Barbie uh, contained a lot of the same information, a lot of the same signatures as the paperwork we discovered for Hans Kammler, which is why we conclude uh, uh, that he went yeah. to South America. And and but again, uh, uh, Barbie was when it was found. They found. Well, I think did they find him or did he pass? Had he passed away by then? I mean, it, it, no, isn't it? Ch- is, there a ch- is there a chance? Huh? They found they found, they found Klaus him. Barbie. They found Klaus Barbie and, and, and extradited him to France in the 1980s. He was tried and convicted. Spent a short time in prison before he died. Um, Eichmann was hmm. found by the by the Israelis. Uh, Mengele is the most prominent Nazi who wasn't found uh, and and whose bones were found after he died. Do you think that is there any chance that Kamler's alive? No. no, I mean by now he'd be he'd be 120, 121 years old. Oh, 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 um, right, right, okay. So, um, and, and and any evidence that um uh, that you've uh, any any even inkling that he of somebody that could have been him that's out there that you that somebody tracked down in Argentina? No, or somewhere? and that's that's a, that's that's another good question, Ed, and there is no inkling of that. We because nobody was searching for him. I mean, until really, you know, we started this research because we we sort of stumbled on this guy as a prominent Nazi who was all powerful and all evil, who'd never been written about. And then we started doing the research. And uh, in our research, we contacted the Mossad. We contacted the U.S. Office of Special Investigation. Those are our Nazi hunters. We contacted the Wiesenthal Center. And every one of them to this day said, no, we never never looked for Kamler. He was dead. 
Um, so he yeah. went unnoticed, and nobody, no, there were no sightings. There were no, at least not that we've discovered. Now, there are right. documents that exist to this day in, in U.S. archives and other archives that, that won't be shown to us. We can't get access to them. Oh, oh, and, because they're classified? And, and or, 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 yeah, they're classified, but two of them in particular, one was produced in 1969, one was produced in 1987 about Hans Kammler. And you've got to think, 40 years after the war, uh, what documents are being produced by a guy who died 40 years ago? And these two documents run over 100 pages. Hmm. That might the one in the 80s. It's easy to speculate. It's a closing, close the file, right? He died finally, and someone you know put hey, he's gone, and they they put where he was buried or something. Uh, um, uh, uh, Dean Reuter, I'm going to run out of time. And again, the book is uh, the Hidden Nazi: The Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. I want to ask one more question. The, you mentioned the American Nazi hunters in the Department of Justice. We have an office that has done this for years. It still exists, I I, I believe, because yes. there's still some chance that you have a 15 or 20 year old that could have been uh, assisting in the. Nazis, I think, right? Is it? Is there any? Um, what do they do? I mean, or is it closing down? Or what's that? What is that? What's the status of that? I don't think most Americans realize that it still exists. And as recently as a year ago, there was a, a trial in Germany of a Nazi war criminal, a, a, a camp guard. And the irony there, Ed, uh, not amusing, but it's ironic that uh, this young man, when he participated, was a, a youth. So at the age of ninety something, now he was on trial in Germany in juvenile court because his offenses were committed when he was a juvenile. Uh, so that office still huh. exists. It's, it's still doing its work. Um, it's still unearthing and documenting uh, some things. There, hmm. there just aren't a lot of uh, Nazi camp guards left. A lot of things left, yeah. Well, it's a very interesting uh, uh, book, and I congratulate you, Dean, and, you're, and you're, you, you even, as a writer, you even give your uh, co-authors great color, their characters in the, in the thing. So uh, congratulate that again. It's a, the Hidden Nazi, the Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. Uh, Dean Reuter, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks again for having me, and thanks for your time, Ed. Okay. We'll take a break, everybody, and I'll put it up on social media, and I'll, I'll do some more uh, uh, reading on it, uh, uh, some things around it. Make sure to, to put the word out there. People, my listeners will like it. We'll take a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Craig Shirley. Now, I'm going to talk about uh, to him about the news that's so topical, but... I have to tell you that one of my favorite books of all time about campaigns and about how things work and what happens is his book that's called Reagan's Revolution, the untold story of the campaign that started it all. And it's about the 1976 Reagan campaign, which was the one that he lost um, and how amazingly dramatic that was and what Reagan learned and how it played out. And you, if you haven't read, he, he's written tons and tons of books. Craig Shirley's written lots of books, historical books, books on politics. Another one I have, Craig, on a book on tape and audible is the one on Mary Abal Washington, uh, uh, George Washington mom, which is also extraordinary. So anyway, welcome, Craig Thank Shirley, you, great author, and uh, appreciate having you on the show. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, Dad. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm doing fine. So the news that we want to talk about is um, the, the, amazingly, within about a month or three weeks of an attempt to get Sirhan Sirhan, the killer of Robert Kennedy, released, which seems to have gone away, we now have a federal judge uh, granting unconditional release to John Hinckley Jr., the man who shot Ronald Reagan. Didn't kill him, but nearly did. Um, so, Craig, first of all, well, Hinckley's not been in jail. I, I think I knew not, that in the back of my head. Life. Not one day in his life. Yeah, because they, they, did, they declared he was insane, right? 
Yeah, well, no, they said he was uh, innocent but insane. Well, yes, that's right. They said he was insane at his jury trial, trial which was in D.C., which was uh, he had a team of left-wing lawyers, and it, the jury was a bunch of left-wingers from uh, D.C., and they decided that Hinckley was, uh, it was, it was innocent by reason of insanity, which is a new uh, verdict, never heard before. Innocent by reason of insanity was totally insane. But if he is insane, which he is, he still belongs, uh, he still belongs, you know, in a mental institution, or if he's sane, he belongs behind bars because he did kill Jim Brady. The, the coroner's right. report when Jim Brady died, and by the way, Jim Brady was an old friend of mine, we both worked on the Hill as press sectors, and uh, when he died, the coroner's report said he died as a result. He died; it was a homicide. So Hinckley is a murderer, uh, and yet he's walking around uh, on the streets uh, free as a bird, which is just a total travesty of justice. And of course, the the, ju- the judge in this whole uh, nasty drama, uh, Paul Friedman, is a Bill Clinton appointee. So that kind of that kind of figures, you know, that you'd have to have a, a left wing left wing jurist uh, put down a left wing uh, opinion, uh, you know, on the assassination of Captain right. Ronald Reagan. We're talking with Craig Shirley, and by the way, if you go to CraigShirley.com, you'll see all his different books. That's a good place to go. Um, back to Hinckley. So Hinckley is—he's now sixty-six years old. And yep. here's the thing that makes me madder than anything, Craig, because I think you're—I think you're giving the judge in this case too much credit in the sense that the judge a- approved what was the department, the prosecutor. So now the Department of Justice, Biden's Department of Justice, filled with. All kinds of lefties. Forget Merrick Garland. Go right below Merrick Garland, Elisa Monaco. She's as far left as she can be. And so the Department of Justice says, hey, here's what we'll do. Our friends are the defense lawyers for uh, for Hinckley anyway, likely, and we'll yes. make a deal. We'll do an agreement, and it'll be unconditional release. And judge, we're the prosecutor. We're on both sides of the V. We're the prosecutor. He's the defendant. We say it's okay. The judge yeah. says, okay, why not? And here we are. This was a uh, Ed, this was a giant finger aimed at the uh, millions of decent uh, people of American society and culture, including you and me. That's what it was. It was the liberal establishment g- giving the finger to people like you and me. Said, you know, up yours. Uh, we don't care if uh, Hinckley committed murder. We're going to let him go. We're going to let him go free, even if even if he's still insane. He's, there's certain movies he can't watch. There's certain books he can't buy. He's been warned to stay away from the families of the people uh, of the men he uh, shot. He's been warned to stay away from the Reagan family. He's been warned to stay away from uh, J- Jim Brady's family. That doesn't sound like the same man to me. But if he, if he, here's the paradox: if he's crazy, he belongs in an institution. If he's if he's guilty and insane, then he belongs behind bars. But instead, they pick the third option, which is the most ridiculous option of all: is that he, he should walk among the walk among the with the rest of us, which is insane. Uh, and and um, and let's uh, to be clear about this: he he went to live with his family. Um, yes. I think down in Williamsburg, Virginia, Williamsburg, if I remember correctly. Virginia. Yes, and, and, and his father. Yeah, his father was alive and died years ago now, a decade or more, and his mother yeah. just died. I read that yeah. for sure. So the, whatever the whatever the sort of check on this was, now he's on his own. I mean, again, uh, it, you would think that the—I yeah. I mean, it's I hate even, to encourage us worse. both. It's even worse is that his 
uh, encounter group, <laughs> believe that, you reach out and touch somebody, uh-huh. uh, his encounter group recently broke up because of COVID. And his little, uh, his little uh, uh, fiefdom at his uh, antique uh, store, that closed too because of COVID. And, and it, his last report says he needs social interaction to keep from going crazy. Well, now he's not getting social interaction, so is he going to go crazy again and shoot somebody else? The um, the uh, I, I, I get this. Is there anyone who can appeal? I mean, I, I don't mean that to be a, a, a legal appeal, but is there any? I don't think there is. Right. It doesn't matter if no, and I don't think Patty no. Davis. Or, there's no one yeah. that can say, hey, this is a danger. Right. Jodie Foster's not going to do it, I'm sure. No, no. I mean, she can speak out. She spoke out in 2016 and said this when, when Hinckley was uh, released you know, in his stages, that the, this was a travesty of justice and a terrible thing. And I'm sure if she's asked, she'll say again, this, this is a terrible... Uh, if, I, if I was Jody Foster, I'd grow an eye in the back of my head. Uh, because, he, I mean, he ended up killing people because he stalked her. So who's to say he's not going to stalk her again? Is that the last... I, I interviewed uh, for one of my books a lot of psychiatrists involved. And uh, they mm-hmm. said to a person that he was dangerous uh, to society, that he was a sociopath, that he felt nobody else's pain, he only felt his own pain, and that he, uh, this was, these are six psychiatrists who all said that he was certifiable and that he should not be released into a normal society. And yet here he is, because of this whacked-out judge, released in normal society. It is, um, it is uh, again, the timing of it, uh, the the positioning of it, it just doesn't seem. It doesn't seem to me to make much sense. Um, Craig, uh, again, um, uh, the the Brady family. I mean, the Brady family's gotten some uh, some pr- prominence over the years in terms of policy stuff. As 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 they, have they put out a statement? Do they care? No, no, they haven't. Uh, you know, of course, he passed away some years ago, and his wife also yeah. passed away. And they didn't have any children. Now, I don't think he had any children oh. from his first marriage. Um, so, but maybe his cousins. Uh, I, I, although I haven't seen anything, uh, but if their last mm-hmm. name is Brady and they're they're somehow related, he can figure out through the internet. And uh, you know, maybe they ought to think about getting private security for themselves. Yeah, it is. Um, all right, Craig. Any more? You got any more books on the way? Reagan books? I mean, you have about five or six of them. Uh, some am, of the I'm best. Three Reagan books right now, and I'm finishing a book, uh, April 1945, which comes out at the end of February next year. And this is about the month oh. of April, obviously 1945, and all the momentous things that happened then, with FDR's death and Truman becoming president, with uh, Hitler's committing suicide, with Mussolini being uh, being taken down by the mob, uh, with the development mm-hmm. of the H bomb, the A bomb, with Auschwitz and Dachau discovered. Uh, with the fight for Okinawa. It's just a momentous, momentous month in the history of the United States. Just a t- tremendous amount of... Every day was a, was a major news story, major new, many, many major news stories each day. Great. Well, I look forward to it. I see it now, right now. It's uh, April 1945, the hinge of history. All right, yeah. uh, Craig Shirley, thank you, as always, for the perspective on this. We'll talk to you again very soon. All right. Thank you, Ed, very much. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. 
a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this broadcast continues the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and stands against forces that mock traditional values, slander America, and redefine the family. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Proponents of COVID restriction and vaccine mandates are messing up America in a lot of ways. But among the most egregious of their violations has to be the fact that they've opened up a whole new front in the war on Christmas. It used to be that the war on Christmas was about public nativity scenes and Christmas carols being sung by children in public schools. Now there's an entire wing of the political spectrum dedicated to ensuring that Americans don't get to celebrate Christmas with their family and friends. Dr. Anthony Fauci was making headlines all the way back in early October for his response to CBS's Margaret Brennan when she asked him, can we gather for Christmas or it's just too soon to tell? Fauci answered that it was too soon to tell. He then proceeded to imply that if enough people got the vaccine, maybe he would tell them that they could celebrate Christmas. First of all, let me just point out how ridiculous the question is to begin with. Why in the world would this news anchor, Margaret Brennan, feel like she had to ask Dr. Fauci's permission to see her family this Christmas? By asking such a silly question, she's implying that Fauci has some kind of power over the American people, which he doesn't. He's not an elected official, and even if he was, he still would not have the authority to make that kind of decision. The very premise of the question is offensive and ignorant. Speaking of which, Fauci's answer was just as inconsistent with reality. The leftist puppets are going to find out very quickly that the American people won't be scared into submission as easily as retailers were scared into doing away with Merry Christmas. This is the fundamental difference between liberals and conservatives. Liberals want us to live life by mandate. Conservatives want to live life by personal liberty. No one will force you to leave your home on December 25th if you don't want to. But no government bureaucrat has the right to cancel Christmas either. It's up to you and your family. Because Christmas is a time to celebrate family and celebrate with family. And the COVID war on Christmas won't change that. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The hypocrisy and lies of the liberal media are alarming and even incite public unrest. But the fake news and the commentators whose slant coverage are finally being exposed. At phyllisschlafly.com, we promise to provide timely alerts and take effective action on your behalf. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, if you're like my kids, you don't want to hear any talk of uh, Christmas this early. My kids have a, 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 a an informal rule that they don't want to hear Christmas music until after Thanksgiving, but they don't even want to talk about Christmas stuff like shopping and all until December turns, no matter what. So this is their rule. I don't know why my kids decide to have this rule, but that's uh, where they are. So, But I'm breaking that rule. I'm breaking that rule right now because I want to tell you about a very cool opportunity if you go to uh, phyllisschlafly.com, I'll put it up on social media. There's a link there, and there we have a Christmas sale going on. Now, what's very cool about Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, I mean, not just very cool about her. She was an amazing lady, but what is amazing, one of the amazing things about her, she was an incredible writer. 
And so we have already published volume after volume of her books. We call them Phyllis Schlafly Speaks. And you go on, on patents, on pro-life, on Donald Trump, uh, all there. And again, you go to this website, you can follow this. Also, there's um, the first reader, very popular. Phyllis Schlafly wrote a reading manual for children to read back in the day, I don't know, about 15, 20 years ago. It's very popular these days. It's called The First Reader, and there's a First Reader workbook. Uh, you can find that there. You can also, there's tote bags, Phyllis uh, Schlafly tote bags, leather uh, pad-, pad folio. We actually have a copy. Uh, the other day, you may remember, I appeared on Larry Elder's um, uh, radio show. And in the midst of all the different kind of appearances I made, I have acquired over the years some of the key books of folks uh, like Larry Elder. His book is A Lot Like Me, at tw- uh, out in 2018 in paperback, about his relationship with his father. Phenomenal book. You buy that there. We've got some uh, uh, David Horowitz books, autographed uh, books that are around. We also have uh, Brian Kilmeade, uh, his book on uh, Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pilots. Pilots. Pirates. If you uh, are upset they took down Thomas Jefferson's uh, a statue up in New York City. Here's a chance. This is a great history. Anyway, all of this is at this website. You can go there and check it out. Lots of books, including my uh, my uh, comic, excuse me, coloring books. Can't trump this Kofefe. There's a Christmas version. Uh, the most, the, the best book I can recommend. Really important for you to read is Phyllis Schlafly's book, A Choice, Not an Echo, which she updated in 2014. It was a a runaway uh, multi, sold, I think, almost 2.5 million copies in 1964. Well, all those years later, uh, um, 50 years later, she published an updated version, and it gives you the best description of what's going on behind the scenes in the Republican Party and why it's so important to do that. So check it out. If you go, there's lots of gifts. About, oh, I want to meant to mention, there's also called the Turbo Reader. Phyllis, when she did the uh, first reader, she then did a, a Turbo Reader, which allowed people to uh, uh, a different level of reading you can get there. So another favorite of mine is Who Killed the American Family? Uh, extraordinary book written in 2014. You should get that. And then one last one I'll finish on. It's called The Supremacist. And it's uh, Phyllis writing about the importance, the tyranny of judges and how to stop it, the importance of the fight over judges. So a lot there. If you go again for Christmas, all these books, there's no supply chain problems. <laughs> there's no issues. You can sign uh, buy these books now. We'll get them to you. In just a few days, you'll get them for Christmas, and there really is something for everybody. If you have somebody that loves the pro-life movement, there's really nothing like uh, Volume 3 of Phyllis Schlafly Speaks. It's called, its subtitle is How the Republican Party Became Pro-Life, and it marches through how Phyllis Schlafly was able uh, to um, shape the platform of the Republican Party. It's an extraordinary history. It's got a description of, uh, of of tactics to get it done. It's got description of the people that were against it. It's really great. Um, another book, by the way, that I recommend uh, to you is uh, if you have somebody who is a young person who's interested in being a speaker uh, and uh, speaking professionally, we put together, in fact, Phyllis picked this out before she died. The very first volume of her uh, writings is called Phyllis Shafley Speaks, Volume 1, Her Favorite Speeches. She pulled out a set of her favorite speeches, and we published them. And they're on every subject. They're on the military. They're on life issues. They're on patents. They're on the uh, the um, economy. 
education. Uh, one of her favorite topics, of course, the Constitution. She writes on that uh, in there. So that's a great one. And I, I've actually given that book uh, quite a few times to young people, our collegians uh, or someone that I know that just is interested in politics and policy uh, to show um, she Phyllis Schlafly was a writer her whole life, and she attributed the fact that she could write, uh, that she wrote well and worked hard at it, to helping her think clearly. You you cannot be a loose thinker if you're writing all the time. You cannot, you just can't do it. And so she attributed that. And she wrote an extraordinary amount uh, in her long life. In fact, if you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you can see the button for the, uh, for the sale. But also, I'd recommend that you go there and you can look at her Phyllis Schlafly reports. Uh, she wrote so many um, essays, so many columns, and so many uh, reports. They called her PS reports. It was a monthly report. I- I- incredible uh, discipline, incredible cl- uh, clarity. And as I often tell people, I can go back and look over the 50-year period where she was writing so frequently. I can go back and look, and I can track down almost any topic, uh, anything that was you know in the news she had written about uh, in some way. And her take is almost always uh, not just, it's not that it's unique. She didn't do things just to make it different, but it was, um, she had a way of seeing things, uh, that was different than most people. And so you could go and figure that out. So com to find out more. And, uh, you want to sign on and you want to uh, pick up some gifts. And by the way, the proceeds go, of course, to our work, uh, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. So it supports us there. All right. So there's some Christmas gifts. If you need a gift to thank uh, Noah Dingley, our great producer, you can go there or Joanna Spilger, our great, uh, assistant producer who helps book these guests go there and get them a gift you can do it there so uh more of that on social media thank you for listening we will be back uh tomorrow it's ed martin here on a pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report on the answer san diego three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com